excitement of being gathered as God's people on the Lord's Day. I'm so glad that we get to worship the Lord together and glad you are here this morning. So those worshiping online, we're glad you're joining us. To those in the gym building, we're glad that you've joined us. To those here in the sanctuary, I'm so glad we get to be together this morning. Just speaking of the gym building, just one quick reminder for you guys, especially those who are at home who are getting ready to come back. If you're wanting a place with a little bit more distancing, we're not in the big gymnasium anymore, but in the student rooms, in the youth rooms, in the gym building. Just the first hallway on your left as you go in is a place you can watch the live stream of the service with a little bit more space between one another. So those who are interested in coming back as COVID settles down a little bit, know that that's available in the gym building. Just a few quick announcements for us this morning. First of all, for the ladies, there is a book study this summer that's going to be available for you on Thursday evenings at 6.45 p.m. I think we have a slide for you on that, but it's going to be a ladies book study you can do in person here on campus or over Zoom as well, and it's Noel Piper's book, Faithful Women and Their Extraordinary God. It's an amazing book that has stories of five women who walked with the Lord and made a huge difference in the world and just how their faith was built up in Christ. And I think it'll really encourage you. So Alicia Jong is going to be overseeing that study. So if you want to learn more about it, just contact the church office, contact Alicia. We have plenty of books in the office you can pick up. There's no charge for them. We'd love for you to do that book study. Thursday evening, 645. We'll be looking for an email this week. And I also just want to remind you, we have some several different prayer opportunities for you during the week, including one this afternoon, 4 o'clock right here in this room. If you'd like to come pray with some other believers and find encouragement as we seek the face of Christ together, that's today at 4 o'clock. Now, I just want to give you a quick heads up. In the middle of the service today, we have several special things going on. We're going to give you, um, we're going to first of all recognize our sixth graders who are moving up to the youth group. And so Miss Molly's going to come recognize them and give them a Bible. We're going to recognize our college students, seniors who are graduates. very soon. So we have several things special to look forward to in the service this morning. As we begin this morning, our first song this morning is going to be the song, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. And what a great way to start off is we're studying a catechism together, this series of questions and answers about what we believe. This is basically a catechism type question put to music. We're going to ask in our first song this morning, what is our hope in life and death? And the answer we're going to proclaim is it's Christ alone. And our soul belongs to him. Friends, we get to sing this morning to the one to whom we belong, the one who is holding us securely. So as we focus on the Lord, can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read to you from John chapter 10 as we prepare our hearts to sing God's praises this morning. I want you to hear the words of our Savior who is holding us. John 10 verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let us sing to our Creator and to our Savior about the hope we have and the fact that He is holding us this morning. Command. 
is one day in your courts better is one day in your house better is one day in your courts thousands elsewhere better is one day in your courts better is one day in your house better is one day in your courts thousands elsewhere thousands elsewhere sing how lovely how lovely is your dwelling place oh lord almighty for my soul longs and even faints For here my heart is satisfied within your presence. I sing beneath the shadow of your Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Thousands elsewhere. One thing I ask and I would see to see your beauty, to find you in the place your glory. One thing I ask and I would see To see your beauty To find you in the place your glory dwells Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts, thousands elsewhere. I will draw near 
God, that we can find refuge in you, Father. That no matter the circumstances of life, God, no matter how defeated we feel, God, that as believers, our hope in an eternal destination with you, God, we can say that it is well with our souls, God, because this is only momentary. This is only for a fleeting breath, God, and we will be with you for all eternity, God. We thank you for the rest that we can find and you are strong tower, God. So your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm Molly. For those that don't know me, I'm the children's director here. And now is a special time when we recognize our sixth graders that will be moving up to the youth group. So BJ, Chrissy, Nathan, if you're here. Now I'm going to already forget who I'm talking. Caden. Da, 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 da. BJ, Gracie, Nathan, Caden, Chrissy, and Aaron. Anybody here? Y'all come on up. Here's the fun part. You get to stand on stage. They're like, no, not the fun part, not the fun part. Come on up, sweet love. Just stand right up here, you guys. So here we go. We've got three of our six sweet kiddos that are here. I just want to say to you guys, I mean, we just couldn't be more thankful for you guys. We're so glad you're part of this church. Um, BJ Bedient is not here. He's the son of Jessica and Ben. Um, let's see. Gracie is not here. Gracie is the daughter of Chris and Brandy. They're moving soon. They're in the military. They'll be moving in June. 
And then let's see, who is the last name that is not here? Somebody in my, Aaron, Aaron Ward. He is the son of Ray Ann and Reed Ward. So these three young children here are not young children anymore. We're growing now into young men and women. And we're so proud of you guys and so thankful you're here with us. And we want to give you a Bible. This is from the entire church. Hayden, Chrissy, and let me get Nathan here. Pardon me for turning my back, Nathan. So guys, when you look at this at some point, I want you to remember that we've given you this. It's a study Bible. It's an ESV. So it's the same translation that Grady uses each week. Um, it's really meant for you guys to wear out. Go get into this Bible, make notes. When I was a little girl, I was taught you couldn't write in the Bible. It's really okay. You can make notes and write in your Bible, and it's things you get to come back to later, and you, you will see God's hand in your life. If you look up what the Word of God stands for, there's so many things scriptures tell us. It tells us that it's alive. It tells us that it's the truth. It tells us it is a lamp and will direct us. The Word will be there for you throughout your entire life, and now it's up to you guys as you're getting older to study it and actually enjoy looking at the word and reading and trying to understand more and more. And as you pray and as you look at this, God will do that. He will direct you and he will show you truths in here. He will do miraculous thing through, things through his word. I want to ask all of you guys, when you look at Chrissy, Nathan, Caden, I want you to take a good look at them and think of the other three. I would love, love for you to commit, look at one of them, and commit for the next year to pray for them as they make this transition, that you will literally pray every day for them, or at least every week. You guys, make, put it on your phone. You all have a phone. Make a note to pray for them. This is a huge step. We've now gone from the children's ministry to the youth group. Different, different expectations, different things are going on. So much. You guys remember what it was like when you were in junior high? Anybody remember that? Um, so there lot, there's lots to be, um, that will be, they'll be dealing with. And you really just never know what's going on in any young man or woman's life. Pray for them. Commit to it. And we're going to pray for a moment now before Grady comes up. I would love to ask if you're a parent, grandparent, sibling, if you'll stand up of any of these children. And if while you're standing here too, Commit to pray for these families. And let's all just look to God right now for just a moment and pray over these children. Father God, we could not be more thankful for the gift of children. God, we just are so amazed at what you give to us with these babies. And now we look at them, and they're growing up, God, and they're loving you, leaning toward you. And we want to just pray that you pierce their hearts, God, with this word and this scripture that, God, it will save them, give them the saving knowledge of you, that they will seek you as their Lord and Savior, that they will follow you every day, God, that they will read your word, see your truth, and it will make a difference in their lives. God, we also commit to praying to the, for these families as this time of growing up has happened so quickly and so much more yet to do. God, we pray that you will follow, help direct these families, help them to just continue as a family to look at your word as well, God, and that they will grow together. And God, we pray that your protection over each of these. We love them and we give them to you and we trust your plan is good for them and we trust that you will reveal your plan to them. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Well, right now, we have two exciting things happening. One of our church members has just gotten back from mission trip, and one is about to go out. So we're going to start with Ty Carmichael. Ty, come on up here. Ty's been a gay member for about a year now, and he and his, his dad has an international missions ministry and has done a lot of missions over the years, and he just got back from a chance to go to Costa Rica. So I asked him to take just a minute to give you an update about his trip. We prayed for him in the service a few weeks back, and I wanted to give you now an update of what the Lord did through his trip. Yeah, and Grady gave me three minutes, so I'm going to try to put all this into three minutes really quickly. So we went to Puerto Viejo, Costa Rica. It's our first time being overseas um, since 2019 because of COVID. Um, my, the ministry that our family has is He-Man International, and so my dad is full-time traveling missionary. Um, I just kind of do part-time right now, still kind of work. So we get there, and real quick, we basically our goal was to build a home for a grandmother and a grandson um, that was homeless, um, partnering with YWAM and Homes for Hope of the organizations that do a lot of home builds. Um, kind of in the Central America area, they do a love. They love to do home builds because it's a good need to meet, and then they can use that to share the gospel. So our goal was to go and build this home. We get there, uh, we get about a four-day home build. Um, we're only going to be here from Wednesday to Wednesday, so we got a quick trip, get it all in. Um, the last day of the home build, about the fourth day, we kind of told our leader, "Hey, we need to get one of us out in the community so that we can." reach these people to kind of explain why are we here that want to talk with them build relationships with them and all that kind of stuff so we were able to do that me and my father were able to take a team out and split up to about three different people i mean three different teams with a couple translators so real quick testimonies um we did bible distribution and usually it's kind of an easy ice break because we're giving a free gift of God's word to them to, for their family to read and, and enjoy with when they go to church but also if they're unbelievers to Kind of explain why would I be giving them this? Why would we be knocking on their doors and going out in the community and playing with all the kids? Like, why are we doing all this? Um, so we do all we we go do Bible distribution and we can't we didn't get anybody really to come to the how would you say that come to that question of hey why are you guys here or hey you know explain some more they just all were all excited to see us. Well, then dad kind of is going through and this guy out of nowhere just starts screaming at him and wants to talk to him. In a nice way. And so dad takes his translator and says, hey, we got to go talk to this guy. He just got off the porch and started yelling at me. He didn't even have a shirt on. And so we go talk, they, go, they go to talk to him, and about an hour and a half into this, they share Jesus with him, and, you know, he becomes a believer in Christ. Well, the translator, come to find out, has never done that. He's a believer, and he works for the organization, but he's never been able to share as a translator ever. And dad finds out about it. So now... Not only does dad and his team are excited and they're like, man, we're, God's, he's moving now. It's, we're ready to get to the next person. Where are we going? Translators, same way. Well, we get all the kids. We go to the soccer field, and this is where our, we want to do community outreach and just really be a part of the community, play with the kids. You know, you know maybe we actually had like a Bible kind of God story, you know, with the kids the best we could. They were all about seven and eight and younger. There was one kid who was about 15. He just showed up. He saw everybody playing. He just wanted to play soccer. Um, we get done. Everybody's kind of leaving out after we've already had this big Bible kind of just, not Bible, um, just God's story. Just to kind of talk to the kids, tell them what's going on. Um, never got into the gospel. Never, never could get to the whole, you know, what Jesus has done for us and everything. Um, well, this kid walks up to me. He's about 16, 17, I think. And he just says, hey, 
wanted to talk with you. Now, it, granted, I've got a translator with me. And I had a Bible, still had a Bible in my bag, and I, I was kind of reassorting my bag. And he says, hey, what is that? And I said, hey, it's a Bible. Do you have one? He says, no, I do, but I would like to have a new one. I said, okay, cool. Here, here's this. And we're, we just started getting to talking about why we're here. And he wants to tell me his testimony. So he starts telling me his testimony. I battled drugs. My dad died. Um, had um, some kind of brain bacteria, had surgery. I mean, this kid's been through everything in the first 16 years of his life. So my translator is like, the same guy that just led the first guy to Christ with my dad and his group now is with me, and I have no idea about this. Dad has not told me this yet. So now Jordy's like, I want to talk to this guy. So Jordy starts filling out his testimony, starts, starts, and, I, and he said, can we talk? Can, we, can, I, can I tell him my Bible verse? I said, yeah, open the Bible. I just gave him one. Open it up. Talk to him. We start talking. Then I, he wants to hear my testimony. So I start telling him my testimony and how I struggle with a lot of the same things he did. And he just kind of goes back and forth. And I said, are you in church? He said, yes. So what's, the, what's holding you back? You know, that's the question. What, what's holding you back? You're 16, 17, 18 years old. You're a high school kid just like we see over here. They, they know. What's holding you back? You're in church. You've got a church around you. Well, I'm just not good enough. The church wants me this. The church wants me to do this. The church wants me to be this. I said, why is it so complicated? I said, why can't it just be a relationship? Why can't it just be a commitment? Why can't you just learn through that? You know, you got your whole life to live, hopefully, with God's will. you got your whole life to live. And so he goes back and forth, and it's, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I've battled all this. I've been through all this. And so Jordy just pours out his testimony about his, you know, coming to Christ. And, and so I just kind of poured out mine. And Jordy's like, I want to talk about my Bible verse. Do it. And, I, and then he wants to hear about mine. I, mine is Romans 5. Why is it Romans 5? Because explain, Paul's explaining your faith will triumph over everything you do. Every trial that comes your way, if you have faith in, in Jesus, if you have that relationship and you stand firm with him, he's already conquered it all. So he already triumphs over every bit of that. So I just asked him, I said, if you had that relationship and you knew all this is covered, I mean, what's holding you back? So he finally, at the end of it, I kind of look at him, I said, we're, we're all going to leave here. The, everybody's left. We're in this middle of the park in Puerto Viejo, and I'm like, man, Jordy, you're really going to have to make sure I get back. Um, and this kid keeps talking and talking, and I finally just say to him, you know, you, you know I came all the way from America. I spent a lot of money to get here, and I've spent a lot of time and effort out here building these houses in this community. And I love you too much to not stand here and not just ask you that question. I'm not going to beat it over you. I'm not going to force you into this, but I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Is it, what's holding you back, and would you even want this relationship with Jesus? I mean, would you want to try? Let, let, your, let yourself grow into this relationship. But just making a simple conversation, make a simple commitment. And he finally just says, I don't know what that means, but I want whatever you got. Whatever, whatever made you do this, I want that. I said, we can do that. And Jordy said, I can do that. I just did it. And I said, well, here we go. So I said, I'll pray. If he doesn't know how to, I'll just pray kind of like I'm him. And, you know, just tell him this is his chance to give his life to Jesus. This is his relationship, his commitment. I've done it. So I just put my arm around him kind of like a normal American, like, hey, come here, let's pray. And I do that, but all of a sudden his hands, like, throw me out of the way, and he throws his hands up. I'm like, this kid's 18 years old. I ain't never seen an 18-year-old kid do that. 
And so I said, okay, well, here we go. I think he's real about this. I think this is, I better get at it. So we pray, and we pray for a while, and we get done, and he hugs me, and we go walking back, and all of a sudden, he's got the Bible open. On the, on the walk back across the big highway, he's got the Bible open. Well, he's at the back of the Bible, and I said, whoa, let's, let's hold up. You, you, we need to go back to the kind of middle. You can get to the end, but let's go to the middle. And I kind of threw him in Matthew, and I said, you want to really know about Jesus. You really want to know about this, this crisis, this relationship you just gave you. Let's start in Matthew, and you can run all the way through it. And Jordy pinched his little uh, Colossians in there, and I gave him my Romans 5. And prayerfully, the hardest thing for us when we leave these trips is I know probably for a shadow, no shadow of that, I'll probably never see this kid again. I just won't. He doesn't even live in the community we were in. He was visiting a friend and decided to play soccer. And all of a sudden, now he's, now he's a believer in Christ. So we, we prayed with him. We continued to talk to him the whole time. And we just told him, you get to your church, tell them what you've done, let them encourage you, grow you, whatever they need to do for you. But you need to get back to your church and take your Bible with you. And prayerfully, the Holy Spirit will continue to work on him. Just to wrap this whole thing up real quick, we, as he men International, we always have a, three tasks that we try to accomplish if we can. First is to meet a need, a need of any kind of hurt and need. Like if it's a shelter need, a medical need, whatever it is, Go and meet the need of the people. In the process, tell them why. Have the simple conversation. I, I wrapped this whole trip up over a simple conversation. Two people came to Christ because of two simple conversations. That's all it was. We didn't preach. We didn't do a big worship session. We didn't, all we were doing was walking through the town and playing with the kids. So meet the need, tell them why, which is we, we just say basically share the gospel of Christ. Get the gospel to the nation of whatever nation you're at, right? And then encourage the local church. How did we encourage the local church? There was a family we met. They were full, all, the whole family were believers in Jesus. Very strong founded, but they didn't have any church in that community. And dad said, you can be that church. You open that home. You make the church home, whatever it takes. So we continue to Encourage them and also encourage Rasta with the YWAM and Homes for Hope and all of them. So we always want to meet a need. We want to share the gospel, and we want to encourage the local church. But this whole trip was awesome, and we wrapped it up into one thing, just a simple conversation. So encouraging you guys, as my local church, if you have a chance to have one simple conversation with anybody, have it. Because it changes lives for eternity. You just don't know who God has sent it. Because the two guys that we got, now, neither one of them, we had any, we, we weren't in the target of those two people. I had no idea this kid was going to come talk to me. I played soccer with him, but I didn't go talk to him. The guy on the porch, no, dad never saw him until he started yelling. God sent both of them to us. So he, he doesn't always have to send you to them. He's going to just get where you need to be, and God will do the rest. Thanks, Ty. Josh, where's Josh Madigan? Josh, come on up here. I know Josh is super excited about this, right? <laughs> I want Josh to share that he's headed out this week for eight weeks in Alaska. So, hey, I'm Josh Madigan. Yeah, <laughs> Alaska. I'm very excited. That was really encouraging because I do have, like, the Lord's blessed me with an opportunity to be able to go and serve in Alaska. I'll be going to many different areas in Alaska. I'll be going to like, Anchorage, do you know, Kodak, just uh, like, each week I'll fly to a different place. We'll be doing, like, VBS, uh, construction work, 
uh, and like even street evangelism. And I'm hoping that like I'll have a lot of people come to me instead of me searching and like, you know seeking out to go uh, to talk to those people. But and that's also really nerve-wracking. So I would also ask for prayer for uh, those situations and that the spirit is like working on those conversations that's gonna be happening. Um, and so pray for safety uh, going up to this area, just like you know travel. And, you know, like, I'll be super tired fl flying from many different places, but also just the encouragement and the obedience to be able to go share and just go talk and speak truth to the people in Alaska. Yeah. We're excited about you going, Josh. And just so you know, he's going with the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, but he also is raising support to do this. And if any of you feel led to help him out, he's still got a little ways to go, but it's close. But if you feel led to help him with his two months in Alaska this summer, I encourage you to talk to him after the service. Just hang around down here after the service so people can come talk to you. So I want to pray over Josh and pray a word of thanks for what Ty got to do before we move on. So let's, let's pause for some and pray together. Father, we are so thankful you've given us the commission to make Christ known among all the nations. Lord, what an incredible thought to realize that you could get the gospel any way you choose. You could have written in the sky, but you chose to put it in the Bible for us, and you've called us to be your ambassadors to preach this good news to others and to take your word to the nations. Thank you that Ty got the chance to do that. Thank you for his faithfulness to do that, Lord. Thank you for the, these two individuals he was able to share Christ with, and we thank you there's new brothers in Christ in Costa Rica. Through their effort, we pray that they would come, they would connect with their local churches, and Lord, your gospel work, your kingdom work would grow there through what has happened. <clears throat> and then we pray for Josh. We thank you for his willingness to set aside a whole summer. There's so much else he could do this summer. He's chosen to give up his summer for the sake of the nations. And I pray that you would just bless him as he makes you known in Alaska, as he goes from town to town. I pray you just give him boldness to make you known. I pray you would just give him favor in the eyes of the people, that people would come to him and would ask questions about the hope he has in Christ. He'd be ready to give an answer for the hope he has. I pray you give him great joy in the journey. And Lord, just as we heard what you did through Ty, we look forward in two months to hearing what you do through Josh this summer. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Seth Rodebeck, one of our elders, is going to come up now, and he's going to recognize our seniors from the college group who are graduating, and he's going to do our intercessory prayer time for us. Thanks, Greg. Um, we've got a couple of seniors that, that have graduated already, uh, Abigail Boyd and Caitlin Beverly. Would you all come up here for just a second? So these two have been journeying with us in our college group. Um, we're really proud of them. Caitlin Beverly, who's right here to my right. Um, she graduated from AUM with a degree in uh, communication disorders. She's accepted a job to work at AUM Speech and Hearing Clinic this summer, and she's been accepted into grad school at Faulkner to pursue her master's degree. So we're really proud of Caitlin, what she's doing. And then Abigail Boyd, um, she graduated from Troy with a degree in nursing, and she's accepted a job in the MICU at Baptist South. So they'll both be around here for a little while longer, which is exciting. But we just wanted as a church to give you uh, John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, which you may have already read it before, but if you have, you can read it again. If you haven't, it's a great book. But it's just a wonderful book, a wonderful reminder of how really to use your life in a way to glorify Christ. And you guys aren't going to be in full-time mission. You're going to be in the workplace, which is what many of us live our faith out in. And you're all going to have a wonderful opportunity to make Christ known where you are. But we're just so grateful for you all, very uh, excited for you, very proud of you. So y'all go ahead and sit down, and then I'll pray over you as I do the offertory prayer as well. All right, well, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We just thank you for the opportunity to come together as your church and worship you and learn about you. And uh, it's just a wonderful to see these, uh, these exciting new beginnings going on, Father. And uh, we just thank you for that. And just the, 
many opportunities you've given our church in missions and the workplace and all these kind of different areas, Father. We just thank you for that. And Lord, I pray this morning, I pray that you would give us a sense of peace today, um, just a sense of rest and peace in you. I know that there are so many things going on in our lives and in this world, Lord, and we just want to come to you this morning and just recognize you as our God, as our King. We want to recognize you, Father, as the only one that can do anything about these requests that we're bringing to you today, Father. And Lord, I just want to pray over to Gateway's marriages, Lord. I know that um, there's just so many marriages represented in this body, and it's a beautiful picture of your love for the church, and the enemy would love nothing more than to destroy that picture and to tear us apart, Father, to bring division. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, guard the marriages here at Gateway. I pray that you would bind husband and wives together in your love. I pray that you would give us a desire uh, to, to love and to serve our spouses, um, just a desire to lay our lives down, not only uh, for the sake of the marriage, but for the sake of making you known and glorifying you in our lives, Father. And I just pray you'd watch over us and guard us in that. Uh, Lord, we pray for the Gateway Worship Ministry. We thank you for the way that they so faithfully serve. It's such a wonderful group of people who week after week devote their time, devote their energy, devote their gifts and their skills. And we just thank you for them, Father. And I just thank you for the opportunity to go through, uh, to do this small group, to go through the book Worship Matters, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to guide us, that you would take us to a deeper place of worship, that you would um, just bring a, a greater sense of purity and a greater sense of just awe and wonder at you, Father, that we would just really be able to press into you and honor and glorify you each and every week. And we just thank you for the team that leads us in that and pray you bless them. Lord, we pray for Foch Smart. We pray for his ministry at Safety Net as he disciples so many men and, and uh, young people that are um, just seeking, that are struggling, Lord. And we pray that you give him great wisdom and discernment and energy and encouragement as he does that week after week, Father. We just pray you bless him in that, that he would make you known um, through that ministry safety net. Lord, we pray for the Mistech Church and Pastor John Halbrooks, Lord, and we pray that you would bless that church, Lord. There's um, just a, a uh, that, that group of people here in Montgomery needs to know you, and we pray that you would make a way for that to happen. We pray that you would tear down language barriers, that you would tear down cultural barriers, Lord, that you would be made known amongst that people group, and that you would show us how, how to come alongside and, and to make that happen, Father. We just need your help in that. Uh, Lord, we pray for our global missions, the I'm going to butcher this name, but the Wandinger Echo people of southern Tan Tanzania, Lord. We just pray, thank you, that 15 new believers have recently come to faith through the Jesus film. We pray that you would grow them in their faith. We pray that you would give them uh, a boldness to share the gospel with those around them, Lord, and that you would establish that local church and those people, that your glory would be made known there. And Lord, we pray for the offering today that's given, uh, already given online and, and given Today here on campus, Lord, we just pray that you would take that, that we would give with joyful hearts, that we would give as acts of worship, Lord, that we would give um, in a way to, to just declare our dependence on you and to worship you, Lord. And we pray that here at Gateway, we would use that money in a way that would honor you, that would be uh, used with wisdom, that would be used to further your gospel in this city and in this world, Father. And Lord, finally, I pray for Grady as he gets ready to share the word today, Lord. We just pray that you would bless him, that he'd be able to recall to mind everything he's been studying this week, um, that you would prepare our hearts to receive the truth of your word, that it would change us, that we would understand it, and that we would go forth um, just, just having a deeper understanding of what the Sabbath is and how to keep it holy. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And boys and girls are dismissed to kids' worship. So grades one to four, if you want to head to the doorway right there. Yeah, there you go. Mr. Jeff is there to greet you and take you over to the gym building. 
Okay, we family encouraged as we see our young people growing up and our college students being sent off and missions updates. My heart is full just thinking about what the Lord is doing in our midst, and I'm grateful for each one of you. I want you to find Exodus chapter 20 this morning in your copy of God's Word. We're continuing our journey through being rooted in the Word of God and understanding what we believe. We're in a section of the study on the law, on the commandments, and particularly in these weeks, we're looking one by one at the Ten Commandments, this summary God gave of all of the law, and we've been looking at that, and we've seen the first three so far, how we're to know God as the only true God, how we're to not have any idols, which is anything we love more than God, how we're to only speak to God and about God in ways that honor and glorify Him. So we've been looking at such, I just want to remind us, the standard God gives for the law is perfect and perpetual obedience. And we see these commands that God requires of us, perfect and perpetual obedience. And what we've been seeing week after week after week in light of that is our absolute inability to keep the law. Therefore, our need for God's grace. Today we come to the fourth commandment. And our question is very simple in the Ten Commandments each week. Our question this morning is, what does the fourth commandment require? What does the fourth commandment require? For instance, as we come to the fourth commandment, the commandment about the Sabbath, this is the longest of all the Ten Commandments. This is the most detailed of all the Ten Commandments, and this is one of the most heavily referenced commandments in all of Scripture. In the Old Testament alone, there's more than a hundred references back to this commandment about the Sabbath. This is a commandment that Jesus discussed. But friends, also, if we're honest, this is probably one of the most debated of all the commandments today, right? There's not a lot of debate among the church of not murdering. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. But what does the Sabbath mean, and what is the obligation of Christians to it? And there's very widely divergent views among people who love Jesus and love the Bible. There are people who are committed to the authority of Scripture who believe the Sabbath has no relevance for us today. That we're free from that, that all days are holy to the Lord. There's people who love the Word of God as well, who are convinced the Sabbath is very relevant for today, and therefore we should be very careful to make sure we don't cut our grass, and we don't go to restaurants, and we go down the checklist very quick. And there's people who believe it has relevance for today, but there's a lot of freedom and how it's led out. So there's a lot of differing views on how we approach the Sabbath and this commandment. So I want us to study it together this morning. So as we come to the longest commandment, we're going to look this morning at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. The words will be on the screen for you as well, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've shown yourself to us in it. We thank you that you've shown us your will and your plan for us. As we come to this fourth commandment today, I pray that you would let it come alive for us, Lord, that you would clear up our understanding of it, and you would show us how good this is for us and your good plan for our life. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So to help us understand what this commandment requires, I want us to ask, you do the pattern we've done in recent weeks. That's to look at five questions and let these questions kind of help us understand what this commandment means and how do we apply it today. But I'm going to mix it up a little bit because normally I'll give you the answer to the question and we kind of walk through and see what it means. Or sometimes I'll do the questions and build to our main idea. Today I'm going to give you the main idea halfway through the sermon, okay? We get two questions, first related to how the Old Testament teaches the Sabbath, We'll look at a second question related to how Jesus interprets it. Then I'll give you the answer to our question, okay? 
And then we'll talk about our last several questions or how do we live it out? How do we apply it today? So let's start with our first question for the morning. How was the fourth commandment understood in the Old Testament? How was this fourth commandment understood among the Jewish people in the Old Testament when it was given? Remember, God is speaking to the Jewish people, the Israelites. They've recently left slavery. They're on their journey to the promised land. And God is giving them these laws. He's revealing his perfect will to them. And here's what he tells them. Go back to verse 8 for the morning. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And hey, guys, in the sound booth, the back screen went off, so any of the stuff that I'm supposed to be seeing is not up there. So sorry, guys, if you want to be working on that as we get to it, that would be a huge help. So, so this particular command, back to verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, if you think about this, there's one command here. The verse, other verses 9, 10, and 11 are all the explanation of it, but there's one word here, one imperative, one command, and notice that very first word. What is our first word here? Remember. So this is interesting here. Out of all the commands of what can be said about the Sabbath, the first word is simply to remember. Now, that's maybe not what you would expect the commandment to be. What that tells us is this commandment was not new to them at Sinai. In the Mount Sinai where God's speaking, they've heard this commandment before. This is given to them before. So, friends, we need to let this sink in. We're in a generation that kind of writes off the relevance of the fourth commandment here for us. But God had already revealed this to them pre-Mount Sinai, pre-Ten Commandments. Now, where have they heard this from God before two particular places. Number one, in the creation account. In the creation account that would be, they would have heard from all along in the oral history of the people of Israel. In the creation account, they would have heard this. In fact, this is reference for us today. If you go back down to verse number 11, look at the basis for this. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first place they see this command is goes all the way back to creation. That God established one day to be different from the others, to be set apart from the others, all the way back in the creation account. But we also see this command repeated for them. By the way, that's from Genesis chapter 2. This is also repeated for them earlier in Exodus. As they're traveling from Egypt after being rescued from slavery to Mount Sinai, on the way, if you remember the account earlier in Exodus, they got hungry. And the people began to grumble and to say, is God going to let us die out here in the wilderness? So God miraculously provides them food. He gave them manna, which is a bread-like thing that appeared in the ground in the morning. And he sent quail and meat at night to them. And so as God gave them instructions about it, he had a specific command about the Sabbath on this. Exodus chapter 16, verse 12. I want you to see that on the screen. Or you can turn back in Exodus 16, verse 12. God says, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Verse 13 carries on. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. As we go into verse 14 as well, look at how God provides for them. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as the frost of the ground. And so the people were to go pick up the, their food. They get up in the morning, and they just pick up their food off the ground. At night, they go pick up their meat. But if you remember from the accounts in Exodus, they weren't to take more than they needed for the day. When people didn't trust God in providing, they would keep extra and it would stink and worms would get in. All this nasty stuff would happen to it if they tried to hoard instead of trusting the Lord. So that happened every day except for the Sabbath day. Exodus chapter 16, a few verses later, verses 26 to 30. I want you to see this in verse 26 of Exodus 16. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a what? It's a Sabbath. There will be none. So God's providing every day. But he says, hey, listen, on the seventh day, I'm not going to provide you any. Um, verse, the very next verse, verse 27. On the seventh, seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. Okay, so we're not the only ones who have trouble being doers of the word, right? 
They were struggling with this will. They went out together, but they found none because God didn't give them the seventh day. Verse 28, he goes on. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Verse 29, he carries on. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. Now, time out. That doesn't mean they can't leave their home. The point is they're not to go out to be gathering to collect the food that day. They're to be trusting God to provide. Verse 30, he finishes up here. So the people rested on the seventh day. So this is all prior to the Ten Commandments. All the way back in the creation account they heard was the pattern set of a day of rest. They had heard this along the way, and then even in the miraculous provision of food, the pattern of a day of rest had been established by God. So they're told, if you go back to our verse this morning, to verse 8 of Exodus 20, the command is, remember the Sabbath. This is not new instruction for them. But friends, when you see the word remember in Scripture, that doesn't mean you sit around and have a cup of coffee and think about it and go, wow, that's really nice. The word remember in Scripture means think about it and live it out. Think about it and put it into practice. To remember in Scripture is to think about it in such a way it leads you to action. And what were they to put into practice? Treating one day different than the other. They were to put into practice, they were to remember to do one day different than the other. What were they to do different? Well, it's in the title itself. Remember the Sabbath. The word Sabbath is a Hebrew word that literally means to stop or to cease. So they are told to remember the ceasing day. They were told to remember the stopping day. They were to see something. They were to have a whole day where they stop something. So that, verse 8, so that they would keep it holy. They were literally to remember the stopping day in order to keep the day holy. Now we see the word holy here is the word that means to be set apart. They were to treat one day, they were to have a day of stopping for the sake of making it set apart, making it different from all the other days. Now, at the particular time, it was the seventh day of the week, Saturday, when they did this. Look at verse 10. But the seventh day, which would be Saturday on the calendar, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So what made the Sabbath different in the Old Testament for the Jewish people? What exactly was that involved? Two things made the Sabbath holy, made it set apart, made it different. Number one, on the Sabbath, they ceased from their regular labors. They ceased, they stopped their regular labors that filled the rest of the week. Look at verse 9 again. Six days you shall labor, you shall work, and do all of your work. But on the Sabbath, verse 10, they're to cease their regular labors. Now, this doesn't mean they can't do anything. Because remember, this is an agrarian and agricultural society. It's hot out there. If you don't give your animals water, they're going to die. So you don't be like, ah, I'll let them die and be thirsty on Sunday. You still had to water your animals. You still had to milk the cows. I mean, there was still work that had to be done for the care of the animals. Your kids still had to eat. You couldn't be like, hey, it's Sabbath. You can't eat today. Just, just lay in bed today. Like, that doesn't work with your kids, right? There were still things to be done. The point was they stopped as much as they could of their regular, ongoing labor employment on this one day. But notice something here. This ceasing had a reason. This wasn't for the sake of laziness. It wasn't, hey, we're going to stop all regular work and we're going to lay around all day and do nothing for the sake of nothing. That's not the point. There was a second thing that made this day different. They were to cease their regular work to do something else. And the imagery we see from Ephesians that we carry out throughout the scripture, they were putting off regular work to put on something different. What were they to put on? Number two, they were to put on the worship of God. They're having a day of ceasing, stopping their regular labors for the sake of making the day holy differently by number two, by focusing on the worship of God. Look back at verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to 
the Lord your God. He's telling them the focus of this, that they are to take this day, they're to slow down and stop from as much of their regular labors as possible for the sake of focusing on Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the Lord their God, Elohim. They were to focus on him. It was a day, as one author I read this week said, it was a day of God-centered rest. So that's a good way to look at the two parts of this command, a day of ceasing, putting off, but a day of putting on, a focus on God. It was a day of God-centered rest rest. And we see this in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. I want you to see that one up on the screen. Leviticus 23, verse 3. Six days, you shall, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Okay, there's the rest part of it. But notice this next word. A holy what? A holy what? Okay, you don't hear that word much, but you hear it around graduation time, right? Or if you go to big conferences. But a convocation is an assembly. It's a meeting. So for the people of Israel, it, the, 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 the Sabbath day was two things. It was putting off work, rest, and it was putting on a holy convocation. It was a day where they would gather together to focus more intently on the worship of God. And I want to remind us that's what Jesus himself perfectly practiced. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I want you to see that one as well. In Luke 4, you have this beautiful pattern in this. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. Notice this next phrase. As was his custom. Okay, this means this is what Jesus normally did, his normal pattern. As is his custom, he went up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. That Jesus' normal pattern is the perfect God-man here among us. He, each Sabbath, each Saturday, would rest, and he would go to the synagogue, the place where the Jewish people would gather for this convocation, for this holy assembly to worship God. He set aside one day on Saturday to cease regular work for focusing on God. But God knew something about the Israelites, and it's very similar to our character. They were going to try to find a way to get stuff done without violating this. Because if, they were, if their character is all like our character, we're going, oh my goodness, there's too much to do to take a day off during the week. So they're probably thinking, I know what I can do. I'm going to honor the Sabbath, no trouble, but I'm going to make my kids go pick the grain. I'm going to let my kids go do all this other work. And so I'm going to send my kids out. Or they may go, oh, I've got some workers. I'm going to send my workers out. Or even better yet... I'm going to find the Gentiles, the pagans who don't know God, and I'm going to pay them to come in and do all my work. So I can get my work done, but I'm going to honor the Sabbath. Well, God knows their tendency to perform in this way. So look at what he tells them in verse number 10. Notice how specific he gets in this. Coming back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 10 there. He tells us, on this day, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now notice this, you or your son or your daughter. Oh, wait, they can't send their kids out, can they? Your male servant or your female servant, the employees working with them, or even your livestock. That means they couldn't figure out a contraption to hang a carrot in front of the donkey, attach a plow to it, and let him kind of go through the pasture and get some work done. Like, they, they couldn't come up with any way to get around this thing. They couldn't even hire out their work to the Gentiles among them, or the sojourner, the foreigner, the international, who is within your gates. They were to make this the pattern of life and not try to find ways to get around this. They were to stop one day a week to rest and to focus on God. And friends, that sounds countercultural today. It sounded countercultural back then. That's why there's so much detail on this. No other nation in the world at the time did this. This was unique to Israel, unique to the Jewish people. It seemed bizarre to the surrounding nations. It was as countercultural then as it is today to take a day to rest and to worship God. So that's how the Jewish people would have understood this. When they heard this command about the Sabbath, the day of ceasing, it was a day to rest and a day of assembly, a day to rest from their normal labor as much as they could and to focus on God. So question two then for the morning, how does the New Testament explain it for us? How does the New Testament explain it or clarify it for us? Now before I answer that question, we need to understand between the time this command was given with creation and 
with the giving of the food during the Exodus, here are the Ten Commandments. Between that time and the time of Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders did something. They added a ton of rules about this commandment. They added so much of the do's and the mostly do nots. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can do this little thing, but not this. And they added all these rules to this particular command. And friends, if we're honest, a lot of their rules sound a lot like the way people treat it today. It's wrong to cut your grass on the Sabbath. You shouldn't pay your bills on the Sabbath. You can't go eat it. They they did a lot of the same type things. They added all these do nots to what this day was about. So when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus breaking those traditions. I'll be really clear here. Jesus did not break the command. He broke the traditions that had been associated with the command. As we just saw in Luke 4 a few minutes ago, Jesus perfectly kept a day set aside for rest and for worship, but he broke all these traditions that had been heaped on top of it. In particular, I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 12. We'll have it up on the screen for you. But in Matthew chapter 12, notice what happens with Jesus and his disciples here. This is fascinating. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, just time out there. He's actually now going for a walk, going somewhere on the Sabbath. So there's some people already probably upset with him because he's actually walking on a mission somewhere on this day of rest here. And as they're walking along here on the Sabbath, the disciples were, uh, what happened here? What were they? They're hungry. Okay, they're just like you and me. We're going, okay, it's 1130, lunch is around the corner, I'm getting hungry. They were getting hungry. But they're in a different day and age than we are. They couldn't pull out their phone and pull up their Chick-fil-A app and find the nearest Chick-fil-A within 10 miles of their location. And as they're driving, punching my favorite order, hit submit, and then wheel in and get the food. I mean, so they had to find a way to get food. They didn't have what we have with all that. So what did they do instead? The only thing they could do, they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. They were hungry on the Sabbath, and so they began to pluck the heads of grain so they can eat. Now, always watching were the Pharisees and religious leaders who hated Jesus. And look at verse 2. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So because the disciples dared get their hand up this high, pick some grain to eat it, they were accused of working on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees pounced on this opportunity. Now, Jesus did not break the Sabbath command. He broke the traditions that had been added to the Sabbath command. And I encourage you to read the rest of Matthew 12 later. It's a whole sermon for a whole nother day that where he corrects them and rebukes them so beautifully from the Old Testament. I don't have it on the screen, but I want you to, if you just hear it, in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, he says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, you have all these traditions, and those don't matter. I'm the Lord of this. I created it, and I can tell you what this day is supposed to be about. But if that was not enough, Jesus takes it one step forward, and we've got this on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. He went on from there and entered the synagogue. Remember, it was a Sunday, so he was going to this holy convocation, this assembly. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. He, Jesus, said to them, Which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man stretched out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So what I want you to see in this is Jesus gives us an important clarification on the Sabbath. This day of rest is not a day of laziness. It is good to do good on the Sabbath day for the Jewish people. They got so caught up in all the do not, do not, do not, do not, that they have missed that this was a day not about the do nots, was they had to slow down from the normal work so they could do good. Good to God and good to 
others. He was showing us that obedience to his command is not laziness, is not passivity, is doing good things. Now that leads us to our third question for the day. How then do we obey this today? Now I want to remind you there's differing views on this. We're going to show a lot of grace in this. Friends, there were differing views on this in the early church. We think back to the early church is the Jewish people were coming to understand who the Messiah was and Gentiles who were pagans without Jewish background were coming to faith in Christ. They were in the same church. So when we preached through James, you remember there was all this conflict in the church between Jew and Gentile. If you can imagine when it came to the Sabbath day, what would happen in the early church? You had the Jews who this had been like such a big thing for them. And they're going, we've got to make sure we keep the day set apart. Yeah, even if it's Sunday now, we've got to make sure we have this day where we don't do any work, where you don't pay your bills, cut your grass, study, do anything else. And we've got to make sure we have this day just to rest and worship God. You have the Gentiles who are coming in new to the gospel going, but all days are sacred to God. I'm to worship God all every day. Why does there one day need to be so different than all the others? And there was conflict in the early church about this, so much so that Paul has to address this. Romans chapter 14, I want you to see it up on the screen. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Before we get into how, me telling you how I believe we should obey this command today, I want to give you this preface, this disclaimer first. Romans 14, 4. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So this is about passing judgment. Now, verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another. Now, there's time out. What's he talking about? The Sabbath. In the early church, there were some people who were really hung up on this particular day of rest and worship. And other people were saying, hey, all the days are the same. One person esteems one day is better than the other. One other esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, if you notice something, Paul's not like, go find that person with a different view on the Sabbath and go set them straight on this one. He's saying, no. He said, if you're convinced in your own mind on this, by all means, do what you feel led to do. But verse 6 here, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. That's the strict Sabbath keeper. The one who eats, in other words, eats in honor of the Lord. The one who does other things on the Sabbath does it in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So Paul lays a, a, a pattern for the New Testament church going, I recognize because of your different backgrounds, you're going to have different convictions of what is and is not appropriate on the Sabbath. Honor the Lord with your convictions, but don't go blast the person who has a different conviction than you on this. He tells the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And I want you to see that on the screen. Colossians 2 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Don't pass judgment on people because of their view of the Sabbath. Verse 17 follows. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He's saying if you get hung up on the Sabbath, you're missing the bigger picture of knowing Christ. It's not that this is unimportant, but we get so caught up going, did you know that your neighbor cut grass on the Sabbath? Did you know that your neighbor you know, goes out to a restaurant on the Sabbath? Like He's saying you're missing the point. Focus on Christ, and if God gives you a conviction, there's certain things you should not do on a day of rest. By all means, follow this, but don't pass judgment on others who land at a different place. Now, with that in view as our disclaimer, how do we obey the fourth commandment today? Here's my answer for us today for this one. I want you to see this. God requires us to take a day each week to rest and refocus on him for our own good. My conviction on the Sabbath and what I believe the fourth commandment tells today is that God is asking all of us to take a day each week to rest and refocus on God for our own good. Now notice I didn't say it had to be Sunday. Notice I didn't say it had to be Saturday. That's a whole other sermon of how the early church took it from Saturday to Sunday and did so in honoring the commandment. But God's pattern for us is we work hard during the week, but we make sure in our normal patterns of life that we have a day for the sake of our own good where we're resting and turning our focus more intently 
on him. One day a week to rest and refocus on God. Notice the two things here, just what we saw the Israelites doing. We're to rest from our labors. Friends, God is our creator. God made us. God knows us. And God knows that we have to have rest. You may just have to sleep. God made us where we spend a third of our life laying vertically on our back, passed out. God made us to where we're not God and we can't keep going. We have to have sleep. But God also made us to where we need rest when we are awake. His normal pattern for us is you work hard six days and you have a day while you're awake and conscious to rest from all those things that weigh you down. And so, friends, when we're asking all the questions of, can I cook on the Sabbath? Can I go to a movie on the Sabbath? Can I go to my kid's sporting event on the Sabbath? We're asking the wrong questions. The question needs to be, how do I cultivate a heart attitude that works hard into God all week, but can stop and trust God and rest one day a week for the sake of my own soul. We need to be less hung up on all those little tiny details and more interested in our heart. Does our heart work hard to the Lord all week and want a day to rest unto the Lord during that week? So we take a day each week to rest from our labors. But number two, we take a day each week to refocus on God. He's given us a day each week, not just to rest, but to focus on Him. One author I read this week said it so well. He said, this is a day the Lord has given us to attend to our soul. It's a good way to look at it. This is a day that God has given us to attend to our soul. So how do we attend to our soul? Well, it's pretty basic, isn't it? We pray. We read the Bible. We think about the character of God. We sing. We do all those things, those spiritual disciplines. We do so on our own. We do so with our families. And we do so collectively as a church. That's why this is what we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just something peripheral we add in when we can. This is our normal flow of life. I love how the author of Hebrews says that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And you see that one up on the screen. Hebrews 10, 24. I think we've got it up there for you. Okay, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And how do we do that? Verse 25. How are we going to stir each other up each week? Not neglecting to meet together, as some is in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more see the day approaching. The, the pattern for us is, yes, we need to have a day where we're focused more intently on the Lord ourselves and with our families, but we need one another. That's why we gather together week after week to put off our normal labels and to put up normal labors and put on intentionally focusing on God. Rest and worship. One author said it's the twin engines of the Sabbath. Think about it. You're on an airplane. You'd be real excited if one of those two engines fails while you're in flight. See, it's sputtering over here, and all the smoke coming out, and you're going, well, I might be flying, all of a sudden the plane's doing weird stuff, you know. You're not excited when those two engines fails. Friends, if we don't keep both rest and worship, the Sabbath's not going to be, this day of rest is not going to be what it needs to be for us. So it's the two things we need to make sure we're building into the regular flow of our week. So how do we obey it today? We take a day each week to rest and refocus on God for our own good. At least a question for as we kind of bring this in today. How does obeying this command bring us good? Have you ever thought about that? Most people talk about whether it's a Sabbath or the Lord's Day. It's what the early church called Sundays and replacement of the Sabbath. How does a special day each week bring us good? Because most of us treat that like a burden, not as a blessing, don't we? We talk about and we treat a day off for worship and rest as a burden. as something that's hard for us to do rather than a blessing. I want to remind us that God gives us these things for our own good. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. I want you to see this as well. Jesus explains to us that the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. His whole point in this was, I made this as a grace gift for you to serve you and for your good. This is not something I did because I want you to check off your list every week and hit all these things to get to me. No, this was something he designed for our good as a blessing to us. In fact, it's such a grace gift. Let me see how Isaiah describes it. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13. This is an amazing description of the Sabbath. And this is specific to Israel, but I think it gives you the heart of God in this. He says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, 
from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a what? Call the Sabbath a what? A delight. Oh, wow, is that the first word that comes to mind when I think of a day off on, you know, for us Sundays? It says, call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Now look at verse 14. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. There it is again. Say, we're delighting in the Lord on this one day a week, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now he's talking to Israel about how he's going to build up Israel as they honor him on this. But I think we catch the idea for today. The day off to rest and worship is not to be a burden. It's to be a delight. It is a grace gift from God to us. And that's what we saw in our text today. If you go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in it. He rested on the seventh day. Now the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What does it mean when God blesses something? He makes it a blessing. God made one day a week to be a special blessing for his people to bring good for them. Physical good? talked about that earlier. We're limited creatures, and God knows that, so he gave us a day to slow down for our own physical and mental and emotional health, because we're body, soul, and spirit. But he also gave us a day for our spiritual good by slowing down. So you ever thought about that? How does slowing down one day a week help you spiritually? Let's suggest three ways it helps us spiritually. Number one, it reminds us that God is creator. Every time you take off from your normal labors and slow down one day a week to rest and focus on God, you're reminding yourself of the creation pattern. The God himself who needed no rest created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh day. It takes you back to God's sovereignty over all things when you do this because it's so countercultural, so counterfleshly to slow down one day a week. Number two, it reminds us that God is trustworthy. It reminds us that God is trustworthy. That God can do more through us in our six days of work and day of rest than we can do in seven days on our own. So every time we slow down one day a week and cease as much of our regular labors as we can, we're proclaiming the trustworthiness of God, that he is good and he's trustworthy. So it reminds us that God's creator, number two, reminds us God's trustworthy. Number three, it reminds us that God gives us true rest in Christ. Reminds us that God gives us true rest in Christ. I don't know if you picked up on the songs that Justin picked for this morning, but they were by design. Because they were reminding us that better is one day in God's court than a thousand nights elsewhere. That, to, that our soul, it is well with our soul. We were proclaiming our rest that we have in Christ. And friends, that's ultimately what the Sabbath reminds us of. As we slow down one day a week to get rest, it reminds us that ultimately our true rest is in Christ. I love what the author of Hebrews does with this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. This is an incredible text on the Sabbath. We need a whole sermon for it on a whole other day. He says, so, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, this is not a one day a week thing now. He's talking about this is a normal pattern. Verse 10 that follows us in Hebrews chapter 4. Forever has entered God's rest. He's also rested from his works as God did from his. It's a reminder to us that I don't have to work to get to God. And you don't have to work to get to God. That we get to rest in the finished work of Christ. And so when we slow down, not only is it physically good for us, friends, it's spiritually good for us. Because we see God as creator. We see God as trustworthy. And we see that God gives us true rest in Christ. At least our last question. Why do we fight this command so much? Why do we fight this command to rest and refocus on God so, so much? Maybe you don't, but I think a lot of us do. Go back to verse 8. Remember, remember, think about and then act out the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Friends, I don't know about you, but so often I hear from people, I'm too busy to do that. I'm too important to give up a day, though we don't say it that way. That's what we're saying. My priorities don't allow for it. We, we kind of think these ways, and then we find ourselves burned out and going, I'm so tired. I'm stretched too thin. Why don't I get a break? Does God not care? And God's up in heaven shouting at us going, I do care. I gave you a day. Stop. 
It's okay. Trust me. Rest and focus on me. Why do we fight against this so bad? I'll give you four reasons. These may not be true for you, but as I think about and reflect on my own life, I think there's four possible reasons why we don't, we don't do this enough. Number one, we really don't trust God. We trust our priorities. We trust our schedule. We really aren't convinced that if we stop for one day that God's going to sustain us through that. We just feel like there's too much to be done. So we really don't trust God to provide what we need if we stop laboring one day. We really don't trust God that what needs to get done is going to get done if we really slow down. So we don't trust God. Number two, we're doing more than God's called us to do. We're doing more than God's called us to do. We perhaps fight the Sabbath because we feel stretched so thin because we've taken on things that God has not called us to do. It can happen when we refuse to say no because we're more worried about what other people think than what God thinks, what we call the sin of people-pleasing. Perhaps we're doing too much because we're finding some type of identity in what we do versus identity in Christ. We call it idolatry. There's so many things, but perhaps we're struggling to slow down one day a week because we're doing more than God has asked us to do. Number three, this has been really convicting me recently, we do not see our limitations as a gift from God. We do not see our limitations as a gift from God. Friends, God made us and God knows we're limited. Our elder team has been reading a book from Paul Tripp on leadership. Essentially, it's the only book I've read on leadership that starts with not just the gospel, but with our own limitations. And Paul Tripp talks about we're all limited in maturity. We're all limited in our spiritual gifts. We're all limited in our time. We're all limited in our energy. God made us limited creatures. And instead of us embracing our limits and sleeping at night, instead of us embracing our limits and taking a day to rest each week, we press on and press on and press on. Paul Tripp says it this way in that book. It says, time has been set for us. We didn't get a vote. In one of his first and most significant acts as creator, God sets down the structure of seven days along with the structure of a Sabbath rest. You simply cannot ignore the limits placed on you by God's plan. You will always need the Sabbath rest no matter how mature you become. Every limit God has set for us has been set because God knows who he created. He knows how we were designed to live, and in love he does not require more of us than we are capable of doing. Limits not only reveal his wisdom, they express his love. Our limits not only express God's wisdom, they express his love. Limits are not a prison, they are a grace. Friends, this for me is one of the big struggles on this. I see the limits of I need to sleep more, I need to take a day to rest. I see those as curses, not blessings. And so perhaps we fight against the Sabbath so much in resting and focusing on God because we don't embrace the limits as a gift from God. And the number four is a possibility. When we do take time to rest, we forget God. We take time to rest, we forget God. We take our off days and we do everything else besides God and we're like, oh yeah, and we kind of squeeze God into it. The whole point of this day off is to turn our focus to him, is to put off, to put on. That's how John Piper says it. He says, people whose hearts are set more on the pleasures of the world than on the enjoyment of God will feel the Sabbath as a burden, not a blessing. People whose hearts are set more on the pleasures of the world than on the enjoyment of God will feel the Sabbath command as a burden, not a blessing. Maybe that's not true for you, but perhaps those are some of the reasons why we push our limits and we fight against this grace gift God has given to us. So what do we do if we're in the place now or we get to the place to where we're not resting and focusing on God each week? This is not the normal pattern of our life. What do we do? I'll give you one more verse this morning. You've seen it before. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he, God, gives more what? He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What do we do, friends? We humble ourselves and we confess to God our pride and thinking we know better how to orient our life than he does. And we confess to him our pride in not taking time to rest and focus him. We confess to him our idolatry and calling what he calls a blessing, us calling it a curse. And so we humble ourselves before him and ask for forgiving grace for living life our way instead of his way. But then as we've seen week after week with these communities, we ask God for transforming grace, grace to change us to where we trust him 
to do what needs to be done those six days, to trust him to actually be able to rest, to trust him in seeing what he calls limits as blessings, to trust him to embrace those limits, to trust him to take time each week to focus on him, friends. God requires us to take a day each week to rest and refocus on him for our own good. Before I close, I want to read you one last quote. This is from a guy named Kevin DeYoung. I want you to ponder this one. It's a little bit longer, but this one has been tearing me up this week, and I want you to think about it. So some of us are running around crazy, thinking, oh God, why don't you give me some kind of break? And God says, I made this day for you, not to punish you or to keep you in bondage, but to give you the freedom you so desperately need. Some of you are desperately seeking the rest that you've not found in Christ. Or you found it, but, you're frequently, but you frequently forget it, and you never stop working, cleaning, planning, plotting, fretting, fussing, worrying, trying to prove yourself to your parents, to your spouse, to your kids or to your church. You've never really appropriated what it means to have grace. There's always something else you need to do to show the world that you're worth something, that you're valuable, that you're loved, that you're okay. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to prove anything. The world does not depend on you. Your salvation does not depend on you. And in ultimate sense, your family does not even depend on you. Can you hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, come to me, I will give you rest. Take Jesus at his word, believe him, trust him, run to him, and then every resurrection day give expression to what you believe by giving him praise and giving yourself a break. Would you pray with me? Father, you know our heart tendencies, the, idol, the idols in our own heart that keep us pushing beyond the limits you give to us. The idols in our heart, they keep us trying to prove ourselves to other people, somehow trying to find our identity or worth or whatever else and what other people think of us. Lord, would you forgive us for the times we do that? And God, would you help us see your commands, your will as a blessing, not as a curse. Lord, I pray for myself, and Lord, you know I struggle with this, and I pray for my precious brothers and sisters, that we will be a people who so trust in you. We see your plan is good and a blessing, and that we're not fighting against the things you give to us to slow us down, to help us remember our need for you. So Lord, in the, my heart and the heart of these friends, Lord, would you this week help us take time to rest, help us time to refocus on you, knowing that you're trustworthy, and you were good. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together this morning? Christ our Savior, and He is Jesus. And who will carry our burdens, turn our sorrow to song? Who gave His life? 
casa Senhor Christ our Savior, and He is Jesus. No, oh, He is Jesus, King forever, and our Redeemer. Almighty God, our hearts are thankful that you are ruling and reigning over all, that your name is above every name. And God, I pray that this week that we would be a people who trust in your name and rest in your name. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great restful Sunday afternoon ahead.